As you walk around the cathedral ruins and explore St Andrews's winding back streets, you might get a sense that something strange is occurring. Something, perhaps, that defies rational explanation. These seemingly inexplicable sensations might, however, have deeper roots. From the same, I'm Isabel Lipscher, this week on Saint Speaks, the role of paranormal activity in Scotland. Richard Falconer has been a leading researcher into ghosts for over 40 years. During this time, he has written six books on the topic and continues to lead award-winning tours around St Andrews, focusing on the paranormal. So Richard, St Andrews is widely regarded as a hub of paranormal activity, but has this perception always been the case? Um, it hasn't been. It's really kind of, it's William Linskill, a Victorian gentleman, town councillor and magistrate in St Andrews, loved his golf, loved his ghosts. So in 1911, he wrote a short booklet called St Andrews Ghost Stories, which will be published twice last year as a standalone. Um, it was 80 pages long, <coughs> and it really had an influence on St Andrews. It's where the mythology of ghosts in St Andrews comes from. There's pretty much, well, there's very, very little before 1911. Okay? Okay. I mean, the earliest record I have is the uh, 1600s, but, uh, but there's very, very little. It all comes from his fictional booklet, if you like, the majority of it, anyway. And, um, and that had a marked, marked impact, but the, the stories themselves are complete fiction. Okay, do you know what sparked him to have that creative process to think about writing in ghosts well, in that way? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, well, he, liked his, his, he liked his port, as one does. <laughs> um, so he'd be in a star bar in St Andrews, which, uh, well, which is now part of Little Italy, I guess, you know. That's okay. where that bar used to sit there, and that was his local. And so he just, well, he was interested in, he was a, an antiquarian in St Andrews and loved the history of St Andrews, one of the early kind of forerunners, if you get, uh, I guess. And, um, and so he would hear stories while he was in the bar and things, and the ghosts that he features in his stories, they have a reality, but it's the stories themselves are complete fiction. So I spent a long time, years, kind of delving into where he got the sources from, if you like. So that's why the book's now 162 pages rather than 80 pages. But the stories themselves are oh. complete fiction. But there's some of the ghosts, the white lady, the nun in St Andrews, the... Um, Phantom Coach, uh, The Sound of Galloping Horses, these things, they have a reality. And what, what is that type of reality? Are they uh, instances of tragedy or misdemeanor or some no. accident? You see, uh, none of those things, And because uh, there's so much fiction sitting out there. I mean, the, everything, as far as the paranormal goes, turn it on its head. It's the complete opposite. That's true with all of it. So on the tours especially, and in the books as well, I kind of dispel all the myths and the legends and look to the, the facts. I don't speculate, don't theorise, don't do any of these things, you know. So it's um, it's basically uh, some of it's I wouldn't say circumstance. It's just it's just kind of location. I'll speak in a bit about the uh, different two main different varieties of ghosts, which kind of start sorting things out. But there's the uh, as far as ghosts go, they don't have to be um, historical kings, queens, nobles. These things most of the time it's us, it's people, and if you don't know who they are, there's no backstories. It so must stories be, um, are always fiction. It must be incredible, though, uh, incredibly difficult to trace that sort of range of facts into tracing when something happened and then how that's been interpreted. How do you even start to go about that process? Uh, I don't. <laughs> because you, you will never know. Okay. Most of the time, as I say, it doesn't have to be famous people or all the rest of it, so you don't. I mean, most of the ghosts, you'll never know who they are. But all along, on saying that, you know, if it's more localised, on the tour, it's kind of more general as far as the localities are concerned, it's mostly out, well, a lot of it's outdoors, if you like, but there's Queen Mary's house, there's a few kind of locations like that, but um, 
you'll find that uh, generally speaking if someone's got a, a ghost in their house or their flat or whatever it's not necessarily the flat of the house that's haunted it might be them and you find usually that it's a uh, it's one of the relations that's so they could be they could be anywhere they could be anywhere on the, on the planet and the granny will still appear you know so it's not necessarily the building but most of the time you, you those circumstances, people don't make the connections very often, but when people mention they've got something, the first thing I always ask is, uh, well, if you can remember the time period, did anyone close to you die around that time? And usually find, oh yeah, my but we scattered my father's ashes the day before. So, well, there's your answer. That's it's, fascinating, it's because definitely in literature and film and TV shows, when we talk about, even in horror genre, and when we talk about paranormal activity, those ghosts are almost, almost tied to specific places rather than people. So do you think there's when it comes to relations, would anybody able to be able to see that ghost or is it a specific process or individual conceptualisation of that ghost that means only the person who has the familiar link can, is able to perceive them? It's certainly only the, the person that has the link will be able to make the association of being someone close to them that's passed over, but people very rarely make that link because, because of someone's contrivance. I mean, as I say, turn paranormal on its head, you know, it's the, the opposite that's true of it. So it's, it's, a, it's not a link that they would consciously make because everyone's looking for the dramatic, everyone's looking for the sensationalistic things because we're all conditioned from, well, babies on Walt Disney fiction, horror films, sensationalism through the press, all these things. And, it, and all the terminology for the paranormal is geared towards the fictionalization as well. So the reality of it is completely different. What do you, you said a few times that you have to turn it on its head. What exactly yeah. do you mean by that? Do you mean from our well, conceptions and completely yeah, them? Yeah, all of it. Every single little bit of it, yeah. For example, well, paranormal activity can happen as much during the day as at night time. So it's about 50-50 each way. But more people experience things during the day than at night time. And the only reason for that is at night time it's dark. You can't see as much. Okay. So we've got this in our heads that it has to be dark, stormy, full moon, Halloween, these things, which is complete nonsense. And Halloween, of course, you're less likely to experience something on that particular day as you are in any other time of the year, because it's all about awareness. And we're not very aware as a species, as far as it goes. So the um, uh, mediums, the ones that are worth assault, they're the ones that are, have a more acute awareness, if you like, but the majority of people are pretty dulled down. So when it comes to Halloween, well, it's chaos, isn't it? You've got all the wee things running around dressed as things. You've got everyone, the, the larger ones, running around drunk. Something <laughs> happened, even notice. Even notice. Despite that, do you think there's any set of circum circumstances, rather, like, um, that would encourage, that make it more likely to, um, to see something paranormal or to experience it? Not in terms of awareness, but almost physical circumstances, like a place, a story... Uh, a time of day or something with historical significance that makes that means that paranormal activity would be more likely to occur. Yeah, it's all about energy. Everything is energy. It's, it's the reason why there's so much going on in St. Andrews. Well, yeah, that's the ultimate reason. Everything is energy. We're energy. So um, there are certain hot spots where energy kind of gathers together, if you like, and it more, becomes more concentrated. And when it's more concentrated, it's, it creates a rain between the world's field, between the barriers of existence. So you're more prone to experiencing things on these energy centers, if you like, or ley lines, as we call them, which is the, you have uh, energy text to energy, so it creates energy centers around the earth. And it can be very localized. And then um, energy snaps to energies, energy grids. That's what we call ley lines. So you're more prone to experiencing things on one of these ley lines or one of these energy centers. So on the tours that I take around, it's the, yeah, it's the hot spots. So a stupid amount of things happen on the tours. 
Okay, so I assuming then there's a multitude of these in St Andrews. Where are some of the locations in St Andrews where you have these points of energy? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, there's the particular concentration. I mean, one of them is here, Students Union. These things happen here, but uh, down by the cathedral end, there's six six specific locations down there where things occur. And have you had yourself many interactions with paranormal activity amongst within these at these points? Yeah, well, altogether, I've had over two thousand experiences. Sometimes people on the tours will say, how many experience? Yeah, have you ever experienced anything? Yep, over 2,000. I've never met anyone on the planet that's experienced that much. See, I educate mediums. Okay. I, go, I understand the mechanics of reality. I'm one of a handful of people on the planet that do. As I said, I've speculated or theorized. As soon as you see some, I mean, the majority of literature that's written on the paranormal is written by people that have never experienced it. So my advice would be to ditch it, because they know as much about it as you do. So, <laughs> because you see, if they, as soon as they come out with speculation, or um, they use words like purported or alleged, and sometimes they might actually introduce themselves in the in their book by saying that they've never experienced anything themselves. But well, yeah, ditch it because you're, they're going to take you down wormholes that you'll never get out from. <laughs> you can spend your whole life going down the wrong wormholes and things if you so like. You know. Do you think if you wanted, if you set out to go and see experience paranormal activity, for example, if I decided I'm going, I really want to go and see a ghost at some point during my surgeries, I can make that happen, or is it something that you just have to be open to, and hopefully, by being open to it, you'll be more aware of it and then if something does happen you're more likely to perceive it? Uh, you don't even have to be uh, aware of it. You don't have to be, um, you know, I mean, they're not pure on demand. It can be minutes, days, weeks, years between things occurring. Uh, if you go looking for them, chances are it's that moment when you, you give up and you turn around that something happens. But it's, uh, they're not pure on demand. I mean, it's, uh, it depends on the particular circumstance, individual circumstance, the locality. But it's... Uh, um, if you're going to experience this stuff, you will, certainly on the tours, you know, because most of the experiences are on tours, and it's all recorded up until September last year, so seven years ago, right the way through, so it's just, well, eight and a half years I've been doing the tours now, but, um, so uh, it doesn't matter what's rattling around in your head. Sometimes people that come up to me and say, Richard, do you believe in ghosts? Well, of course not, because I experience them. You see, you don't you use the word belief, your experiences. And, uh, and I always say on the tours, that's the only thing you don't have to think about, you don't. So belief and scepticism, I tell with those are the same brush. There's no difference between the two, because they're called opinions. Ghosts so don't care what you think. So in that way, would you say that a ghost is simply an objective, an objective fact? They're an objective yeah. point of our reality. It is. It matters absolutely. It doesn't matter a job what's in your head. It doesn't matter what's rattling around in your head at any point in time. And if you are going to experience it, you will. I mean, the most common way of not experiencing it is not looking in the right direction. And obviously, uh, throughout your tours, many people on them have had hundreds, if not thousands, of paranormal experiences happened on the tour. Could you tell us, are there any of those that stick out in your mind that were particularly striking? Um, yeah, all of them, really. Although, not all of them. I mean, some of them, it can be very subtle. You know, some moments you're, you become aware of something in addition to what you're actually looking at. It's something, it's doesn't, something that it, it doesn't pop up. It's just there. And you become aware of it, you know, you're kind of looking at the, into the distance and it's just sitting there, whether it's the, um, the haunted tower down by the cathedral there, there's been a couple of occasions where I was standing outside there, last time was the, before the pandemic, it was a whole group of Americans nighttime, I was talking about the tower, and uh, I just became aware of, there was a young woman looking down at us from the window, half, uh, ten past ten at night, completely silent, so I stopped talking. 
because you don't carry on the tour like it's not happened. And I wasn't taking my eyes off her. And there was a wee woman from the Bronx standing next to me, and I seen her out the corner of my eye, and she said, Richard, should that happen? Well, 10 seconds later, when the face disappeared, the tongue said no. And by then, they all realised who it was that was looking down at us. So it's very, very subtle, these things, you know, when they, when they occur. You talk about mediums and how they're more able to perceive things or have more interactions. Why is that that some people are more able to have a connection with the paranormal than others? Yeah, it is all about awareness. <clears throat> so everyone has the attributes, if you like. Um, everyone has the same attributes when you're born. But then for the majority of people in the West, specifically, it's drummed out of them as they got older. So you have a, a <clears throat> an experience when you're young, you mention it to your parents. They uh, they just tell you, you know, don't be so stupid, it's nonsense, or it's, like, it's your imagination. It's that dismissive factor, you're just shut down. Um, <clears throat> so there's, um, so then that's it, you know, you've, you've, you've shut down from it. There are people that are, they're not, uh, they're not given that same kind of same treatment, if you like. So the kind of their awareness carries on. So it's, it tends to be though, it's uh, animals certainly, and, uh, and when you're young, you're more prone to experiencing things because you're you're far more of an awareness than you have. The older you get, the more baggage you've got in your head. So you've got a million and two things rattling around in your head at the same time. So that really detracts from your awareness, if you like, because you you're you bother about life and all the rest and all the <coughs> the pitfalls of it of the um, um, all the pressures. You know, that take place. So for everyone who reports to you in a sighting, do you automatically think that they definitely have seen it? Or do you ever, are you ever sceptic, not that the ghosts exist, but that people have seen them? Or because sometimes, you know, if you have, if you have an idea in your head, okay, I really would like to see it, sometimes things can just become, you can see what you want to see. Yeah, you always know. I mean, um, every, every experience, it's always... There's always a duality with it. One is the experience itself, the other one is the mind trying to work it out. And when uh, when people are telling you things, then you, you know straight away whether it's like, yeah, it was a trick of light, it was this or that. It was. It can be very vague. It might be they weren't sure if it was or it wasn't. You know, it's, it's usually these are tricks of light, so the way shadows form and all the rest of night time, that kind of stuff. Or that's a placebo effect where they're hyping themselves up, um, which doesn't happen on the tour. There is no placebo on the tours, but it's a, but yeah, you can usually distinguish it. And, People don't make these things up. Why would anyone bother? You know, I mean, sometimes uh, people say, "Well, attention." Well, it's going to be short-lived if you're, uh, you know, you mention something. Then, if you're at school, you're going to get bullied. If you're not, then you're going to get laughed at and ridiculed. So, no one invites that into their lives. I would imagine. So, people don't make these things up. And it's also, yeah, record everything down. And it might be years between someone else coming forward and and with the same experience in the same locality and the same description. Uh, so these patterns then start emerging patterns merge. The paranormal is quantifiable. There's nothing random with the paranormal. It's uh, everything has a reason as well. And sometimes you use this, if you like, I use it as a as a microcosm for the for the planet because it's the same um, the attributes, if you like, of the patterns of phenomena, it's the same globally. There's no difference. So I explain global phenomena using St Andrews as a base because I've got such a, a wealth of of a testimony if you like from myself and on the tours and from people coming forward and I'm a magnet for these things. Or magnet for experience, and apparently, and but certainly um, for people coming forward, but no, I'm not going to, you know, laugh at them or ridicule them or anything. And people get very emotional because they, the last time they did tell anyone was 50 years ago, and they got bullied at school. So the, the families don't even know. They'll mention something to me because they want to find out more about what they've experienced. Um, 
and also their yeah the family. so they get the, the looks from the family their husbands wives the kids you know they didn't know because they don't tell me so in that way are ghosts immaterial or do they have are they able to act or is there simply no for example can you touch a ghost or is there no interaction between the material reality <coughs> yeah no they're on a different frequency um they can materialize but the spirits of the deceased don't want you to see them they don't want to scare you that's the thing so they'll hide you know and in that light does does everybody become ghosts is that what happens when we when we die or is there a reason why someone would become a ghost or not? um yeah, no, I mean, when you die, you don't get a choice to hang around. It's not like, oh, quite lucky, you're hang around for a few hundred years. That doesn't happen. So when you die, you go to wherever you're supposed to end up, which I'm not going to go into because that's a wormhole. But um, that's when you might then come back, spirits of the deceased, or your relations coming back. It might be communication, but most of the time it will be to utilise energy to cause things to occur, which is called poltergeist activity, just to attract your attention, to notify you that they're, they've passed over, if you like, you know, but it's up to you to make that connection. And you're the only one that could, otherwise it goes that abstract thing that you think the place is haunted when it's not, it's actually kind of your granny that's passed over a few weeks before or something, she's dipping in just to, to let you know the best that she can, that she's still around. Sometimes it's a little bit more obvious if it's like your granny's favourite perfume, that kind of thing. Something that will alert you to you know, to that something specific. Um, a lot of the time, uh, people's lives are, you know, very busy, schedules, all the rest. They don't have time to actually think. You know, we primarily stopped thinking somewhere in the 1800s and never quite recovered, unfortunately. So there's often a conception that um, ghosts sometimes come back because they have unfinished business. Is that is that true to any extent? It can be. I mean, um, nothing is black and white. It's individual circumstances, say the paranormal is. It is complex. Paranormal is complex. It's individual circumstances. But it can happen, but it is rare in the scheme of things that they'll come back with unfinished business. But they can do. But there's two forms of spirits of the deceased. One is those that go to wherever they're supposed to end up and might dip back in again in relations, these things, and or unfinished business. The other one is stasis, which is um, when you die, you're still here. It's an anomaly. It's, I mean, the, uh, the impressions from an earlier time period, that window through time, what you're looking at is still taking place. So that's another anomaly. That's an anomaly in time. And uh, stasis is, is another anomaly as well. That's where you die, you're still here. It's a mix of the energies and the locality at the time of death, nature of death, the uh, energies from the self at the time of death, thought process time of death, and they'll jumble up together and you're still around. So you're then utilizing energies to cause things to occur, to attract people's attention, but you're not trying to communicate with them. There's no unfinished business, you're not related to them, it's none of these things. Um, and the sense of time is totally different. If you do meditation, that awareness, that awareness state that some people end up in, most people that meditate are trying to get to that state, but if you actually make it to that state, then that's the same awareness as when you're dead. Okay, and um, so they're utilizing the energies to cause things to occur. Um, there's a lot of poltergeist activity in St Andrews. I mean, so many student flats and the likes as well. So, you know, not long after the start of the new term, students start coming up to me on the street or on the tours every year. It was the same to tell me what they're currently experiencing, and they're. They're in a you know, different flat or residence. It's not something you find on the lease. And they're totally unaware of the previous history or the previous occupants. But it's got to a point over the years that they'll tell me what they're experiencing and I'll tell them their address. That's how specific these things are. So you move in somewhere, you're just inheriting this stuff. As I say, they've been here a lot longer than we have. So there's something unique to each individual locality. There's 207 haunted locations in St. Andrews at the moment. Could you tell us what some of those are? 
Um, the most recent one was uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was standing in Baker Lane, and there's a well, it's an Airbnb. The uh, the window opened. A woman poked her head out of the window, looking for my details. So I gave her my details. A few days later, she sent me an email saying they're not alone, and I wondered if uh, the reason I stand outside there a few times a day, seven days a week, is because of what's taking place in the in the, in the flat. Well, I didn't know there was anything taking place in the, in the flat there. Um, and it's early hours of the morning or late in the evening, it's doors closing, footsteps, it's shuffling noises, it's uh, things moving around. And to start with, it was individually. So it was the mother, the father, the daughter, and the daughter's boyfriend. And when you experience something, you know, it's, it is subtle. People are thinking it's going to be the dramatic all the time. It's not. It's, it's things that are, that are easy to dismiss. Everyone experiences things all the time. We're very good at putting things down to our imagination, but, uh, but you need a trigger for the imagination. So next time you put something down to your imagination, stop yourself and think for a second, what was it that, that caused me to think it was my imagination? And that's when the things start merging through from the unseen, so we run ahead of ourselves. So, <clears throat> you know, you wake up in the morning, the first thing you want to do is like uh, stick your toast on, put the kettle on, and make sure you're boiling away quite merrily. When something happens, you don't have time for it. So you'll dismiss it, you know, and you won't mention it to anyone because you don't want to feel silly. You know, it's like, why would you mention it? But then when it becomes a little bit more persistent, then you, you sometimes you don't have a choice. You know? So the, the conversation broke out between them after a few days, you know, and turned out they'd all been experiencing the same things. And also a shadow out the corner of the eye as well. And then there was a few collective things towards the end of the week that they were experiencing, which is, it was during that period, that's when she poked her head out of the window there looking for my details. So it was 206 haunted locations, it's now 207 because of that. And what do you think people's general reaction is to experience paranormal activity? Do they feel innately uncomfortable? Do they feel excited, fascinated? If, uh, if it defies the laws of physics, it's just going to scare the hell out of you. That's a given. <laughs> <laughs> I don't try and scare anyone on tourism. Probably the only ghost tour on the planet doesn't try and scare the hell out of anyone because they'll do it themselves. <laughs> you know? Whereas, say, we're our worst enemy. You know, think these things as good, bad, evil, indifferent, or the neutral. But um, um, if it doesn't uh, defy the laws of physics, then it will confuse you. It won't scare you. It will confuse you because you can't deny what you're experiencing, but it will conflict with what you got in your head. Because of all the the conditioning, the programming of the fictionalization, you're not expecting something as subtle as what it actually is, like somebody just standing next to a tree, for example, or doing whatever they're doing. Um, so you'll do everything to make some sense of what you're experiencing. So you're going to be banging those square pegs, as it turns out, into round holes to try and make some sense of it. But, uh, <clears throat> but the majority of people, well, I might as well say everybody, apart from myself, or in a few others, because there's only about five of us on the planet understand it all. Um, don't know which way is up, so there's no reference point. Because your reference point for something occurring, say a coffee cup moving from A to B to find the laws of physics, shouldn't move from A to B. We think the next thing that's going to happen is the wall's going to be dripping in blood and we're all going to get murdered or our beds. Uh, no, fiction, you know. So it's uh, the reason you get scared is the great unknown, you don't know what's going to happen next. So your reference point for what could happen next is that back catalogue of your favourite horror films. And you'll surprise yourself. You'll be sitting there glued to your seat with fear, calling up all these things. Your subconscious is very good at pulling it all up. And it'll pull up fears from horror films you can't remember watching. And all the coffee cup did was move from A to B to find the laws of physics. I say they're not trying to harm your scare or all these kind of things. So you're trying to work it out. So it's more of that confusion. But you'll, uh, you'll go through the possibilities, banging those square pegs into round holes, you know, very quickly. And that's when you're left with, you know, 
the, the, the inevitable, if you like. You could just dismiss it as your imagination, but uh, well, that's when you'll start getting scared. So one of the ghosts in St Andrews that people tend to be scared by, correct me if I'm wrong, is the veiled nun. Yeah. Because that she has quite a tragic story behind her, doesn't she? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've mentioned that story six times in the last few days, and that's the first time in about six years. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, there's a particular context that I mention her in. Um, I mean, it's a William Linskill, 1911. It's the most famous ghost story in St Andrews because it's very short, it's impactful. You know, it's these short ones that... Uh, that have that um, that stick in the mind, if you like, you know. It's why the Nuns Walk is called the Nuns Walk down at uh, St. Leonard's there. And there's a plaque on the wall saying, Nuns Walk, after the ghost of the nun. But that's the fictionalization. It's, it's Linskill. It's this couple that were going to get married. She lived in St. Andrews. He lived in Edinburgh. She got second thoughts about the marriage. She became a nun. And her uh, husband-to-be in Edinburgh heard that she was going to become a nun. So he was going to come through to try and make a change of mind. When she heard that he was coming through to try and make a change of mind, she took the drastic measure of cutting off her eyelids, cut off her mouth, slit her nostrils, branded her cheeks. And if you visualise what that'd be like, it's, you end up with a skull. And he came through, saw the mutilated features. He was devastated. He went back to Edinburgh and committed suicide. Since then, it's said that she appears in the nun's walk down at St. Leonard's. She's carrying a lantern. She's got a veil hiding her mutilated features. And if she holds the lantern sort of her face, pulls outside the veil to expose the mutilated features that's said to cause madness or death. So and there we go, that's a story. Has anyone reported seeing her and that's caused the madness or death? Uh, not madness or death, that's never happened, but uh, seeing her, oh yes. I mean, we saw her um, 2017, um, 10 students and myself, we saw her, she was down at St. Leonard's there, standing next to a tree, but uh, it was silhouetted two halogen lights above her. Um, we started walking down, figure walk behind the tree, and all the students, they're all... Well, one of them said, uh, school people's just gone behind the tree, they're going to jump out at us when we get down there. So they were all laughing and joking. We got to the, the bollards down there near the tree, and uh, everyone went silent at the same time, which struck me as odd. And then I realised, as well, they all had the same thought, they wanted to sneak up on whoever it was and jump out on them, rather than the other way around. We got up to the tree, nobody behind the tree. So they were looking for a trap door to see if someone had scaled the tree. So as I say, it doesn't scare, it confuses you. Once you've exhausted the possibilities. But we didn't see her. She was It was a silhouette, you see, so we didn't see her there. But certainly in the nun's walk, she stands next to one of the trees in the avenue there. And of all the, the reports, I always ask people when they come forward. Because um, I'm a trigger for certain things. Life carries on. When people experience things, if it defies the laws of physics, then they're more prone to remember it as, as, as life goes on. If it doesn't defy the laws of physics, they'll forget it. So sometimes people go as white as a sheet on materials and big eyes, and I see that a lot. And I know they've experienced what I'm talking about. It might be in the nun's walk, it might be St. Andrews, it might be around the world. Um, there was a lady on a tour with a family, and she went white. She was saying she was at the school at St. Leonard's years ago, and she saw the nun standing next to the tree, and she thought she was in costume. So she thought it was a ghost tour taking place. Uh, no, it wasn't any ghost tour, it's not back then, not in costume, not down there. And as she got closer, it was as she walked around the back of the tree. So because she didn't defy the laws of physics, she created this comfortable scenario of what she thought she was experiencing. So it wasn't until she came on a tour, she realised it was a ghost she'd seen all those years before. There was a PhD student from Spanish on a tour. And it was 2.18, and she, well, she went white. It was 2.18 when she was saying that she... Um, 
was uh, walking down the avenue about two in the morning with her, her boyfriend and they were just going to walk around by the chapel. She was going to show in the chapel. There was, a, there was a nun standing next to this tree, completely motionless, two in the morning. It just freaked them out. That's what it does. Because there's something discordant about it. There's something wrong. There's something just there. Your, your subconscious is is shaking you up and down, you know. It's like tapping on the shoulder and then shaking you up and down. And, and trying to know. frantically find an explanation, I assume. Well, yeah, well, there, there just isn't one. You know, sometimes there just isn't one. And so you cut straight to the, the, the being scared stage and, you know, they hightailed it. And, but life carries on and she'd forgotten about that until um, so she came on a tour which is 219 it's 2 when it happened and then she went white because she realised it was the ghost she'd seen there all these people I mean there's a lot of it you know there's uh, thousands of reports but uh, all of it you know the uh, certainly for the for the nun down there I always ask people you know what's her face mutilated and they just look at me with a, a puzzled almost horrified look on, on their an expression on their face to say what are you talking about <laughs> you know music really because I meanwhile Lynn's still story it's the most famous in St Andrews not many people live here anymore and people die so it's you know it's not as popular I mean it was something that every household in St Andrews had a copy of Lynn Skill's St Andrews ghost stories at one point in time but so things are switched around so it's not as uh, as common as it was for people to, to you know to um to be familiar with that story. So, uh, no, she's in her 20s and she's not mutilated. There's no lantern, there's no veil. So, as I say, all of Lynn's skill stories are fiction. And it's qualified by the testimonies of all of the ghosts that you mentioned in the stories. I've got testimonies, multiple testimonies for all of them. Or the majority of it, rather. It is, you know, they, these do have a reality. But it's the specific localities and the descriptions that people are totally unaware of. And people are totally unaware of other people's experiences. So from all of these tours and all of the research you've done and all of the experiences you've had and you've seen other people yeah. have, from all of that collated together, if there was, if you could say one thing that you'd like people to take away from this about paranormal activity, what would that be? Um, essentially, it's be uh, food for thought. Simple as that, really. Food for thought. You know, it's. Um, I have an expression that I've never met anyone who thinks I have a closed mind, but I've met plenty of people that don't have an open mind. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for coming in. This has definitely been food for thought, and I think we've all learned a lot about paranormal activity. And yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you, and hopefully, um, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, everyone comes on the tours, so, you know, a lot of students come on the tours, so everyone's more than welcome. Many thanks to Richard. You can book one of his tours by visiting www.sintandrewsghosttours.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced and edited by William Finlater. We'll be back next week.